Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back, guys. We're so happy to have you here. And today we are talking about the painting, The Wrath of the Medusa. Now, you may have seen this in a book, you may have seen it in person, but Claudine's going to give us all the fun facts about this beautiful painting. Yeah, this is definitely a painting that I love in the Louvre and one I love to share the story with. Um, and I think that as I share the story, it just gets longer and longer because I keep finding out more information about it. Uh, but what I do love about the Louvre, I just had a call with a client today um, about a, a tour of the Louvre. And they were like, well, do you, you know, oh, and do you also share like the history, the art history? And what I love about the paintings is, you know, it's not really the specific technical things. Like I've never been trained in, you know, going to art school. But what I love about it is the story in the painting, the story of the artist, you know, like this painting, it, this was a real actual event that happened. Um, and then you'll, by the end of it, you'll, it's a really fascinating story. But that's what I love about the art in the Louvre and the Orsay and everywhere. It's the story of the painting itself, what it's depicting, and the artist, and maybe even the collector um, that really makes it come alive. Definitely. Knowing this history makes everything so much more interesting. It is. It's so much more fun. Um, so this is a huge painting that's in the Dunant wing. Um, so the Dunant wing of the Louvre is where all the big stuff is. That is where the Mona Lisa is. It's where Wing Victory, Venus, uh, Demido all of the big things. So there is a room called the Salle Moulin. Um, it's on the first floor of the Dunant wing. And that is um, that part of the, the building was created in the 19th century by Napoleon III when he doubled the size of the Louvre, which we talked about a couple months ago. And so this room is the large scale French paintings of the school of Delacroix. Again, there's my guy, but it's the romantic period. So there's the opposite room um, through the Salon du Nom is the neoclassical and school of David. And so this, this is what comes after that. And so the romantic period really inspired the Impressionists. And because it's romantic, which we've also done a whole episode about, um, it's not just about love. It's, it's also about feeling. So, so with this one, it's not really about love when I tell you what happened, but it is definitely about feelings. Lots of feelings. Lots of feelings. Um, so this painting that is called the Radu de, de la Meduse, um, or the Raft of the Medusa, was done by Theodore Jericho. It was painted in 1818 when Jericho was just 27 years old. It depicts the story of the French ship Medusa, um, which was a 40-gun frigate um, that was used during the Napoleonic Wars in 1810. On June 17, 1816, the Medusa left the port of Axe alongside three other ships in the fleet, the Loire, Argus, and Echo. The Medusa captain was a gentleman named Victor Hughes uh, de Wois, uh, de Chaumonnerie. He decided to make up some time and pass the other ships. He was a very novice captain. He hadn't even been on a ship not even about steering a ship, but he hadn't even been on a ship in over 20 years. But he was chosen by Louis XVIII um, because he was very, very dedicated to the Bourbons. As we all are. <laughs> yeah, as we all are. <laughs> on the 2nd of July, 1816, the Medusa hit a sandbar because, again, Viscount uh, Hughes, he did not know where he was going. 
He hit a sandbar off the coast of West Africa at the Banque d'Argon. It was 80 kilometers off of the coast. Following three days of trying to free the Medusa from his captivity in the sand, it was decided that the crew would abandon the ship because a storm was came, came in and started to actually break up the boat. Um, only six small boats were available and would only have hold half of its crew. Um, and those were mostly reserved for the elite and the high-ranking officers. And again, this is 1816. So the the whole Titanic thing comes afterwards, and you would have thought that maybe we learned from our past mistakes, but no, of course not. We don't. History repeats itself. <laughs> Always. <laughs> so a raft was quickly built. Um, there was uh, carpenters that were on board and they just started taking apart anything they could to get the wood to build this raft. Um, it would um, it was co- it held a lot of other heavy things that were on board. They held guns, casts of water, wine and food tied to the rafts. Um, and they also tied it up to the six little boats, but it became really difficult to navigate. And so the captain decided to cut them loose. The captain, of course, was on one of the little boats. The captain, of course, did not go on the raft. Um, when the raft was set free, there was 147 people. Three of them had already died. Um, so 147 people were on there and it was like partially submerged because it just, it was a raft. It wasn't exactly created, you know, to be sea- too seaworthy. The worst was to happen um, with only biscuits, two casts of water and a cast of wine. Um, they were floating under the hot sun and they got rid of everything but one of those casks. with one? No idea. Kept the wine. Ah. <laughs> I mean, they're French. And I would think I would rather if I'm going to die out at sea by, you know, I'm imagining, you know, Jaws coming to get you. I think I'd rather be drunk than hydrated or full. Same. <laughs> I think I just I'm going to go out drunk. As their raft mates died, they had to decide who to eat. So they were I... eating each other. Oh, Ugh. And then some of them and others were just pushed off into the sea. Many men actually dived into the ocean to their deaths because they thought, you know, they just thought, I don't want to die here and be eaten. So I'll just go ahead and kill myself. 13 days later, on July 17th, only 15 of the 150 men were still alive. Yikes. Oh, Isn't that wow. crazy? Yeah. Um, they were, there's 15 of them when the Argus, who was one of their sister ships at the beginning, spotted them. Five more men died before they reached shore after they were rescued. So only 10 men survived the two-week ordeal. That following um, February, um, the Visconti, the captain, had to face, was taken to court. He was sentenced to three years in prison. This story captured all of France and Europe. And when a story was published in November of 1817, the young Taylor Jericho was drawn into it. This sto- the story interviewed um, two of the survivors, a guy named Henry Savigny and Alexander Corriard. Recalling their harrowing tales, Jericho was so enthralled, he reached out to the two two of them to meet with them. With their help, he began to sketch and even make a scale model of the raft that captured the moments that were just the two hours before they were saved. They even served as models for a few of the men in the painting. Um, he was so dedicated to getting every detail correct because the painting includes... Some people are dead. Some people are still alive. Some people are in the process of dying. The Jericho would go to the morgue and even brought body parts home from the hospital for him to study how the body decays. He was super dedicated. 
super grossly dedicated. (laughs) (laughs) The survivor, um, Alexander Corriar, he was an engineer and a journalist, and he published and wrote the eyewitness account of the tragedy. That act had him fired from his job as an engineer, which led him to seek a license. On September 9th, 1818, he opened a bookshop in the Palais Royal. He named his, sh- his uh, shop the Naufragé de la Meduse, the Shipwreck of the Meduse, and people flocked to the store to buy the book and to meet him. Um, the other gentleman, Dr. Henri Savigny, was one of the three that volunteered to take the raft. On his arrival in Paris, he testified to the Ministry of the Navy against the captain. When he co-authored the detailed account with uh, Corriere, he found instant fame. Um, one other man that was integral to the raft was a carpenter named Valérie Touche-Leviette. He was born on April 26, 1789, as we know. Um, he served in his Imperial Guard for two years and was asked to go to Senegal to hope to help with the uh, colonization. It was Valérie that helped build and create the raft that they stayed on for the entire voyage. Their eyewitnesses' accounts were the basis of Jericho's early sketches of the painting, two of which you could find in the Louvre. They show a few slight differences from the final version. The first uh, sketch shows the Ross position off um, from the other two. And if you look closely at it, the figures you could see changed a few. And why I love to find these sketches. And when I say sketches, like we think of a sketch as like, you know, you're sitting down with a pencil and drawing on a piece of paper. But in art, a sketch is considered anything. Like it could be a clay model for something Rodin did, or it could be an actual, it's a painting with paint. Um, But because it's an early version of the final piece, it's called a sketch. Um, And two of those are in the Louvre and they're nowhere near the actual final piece of the Raft of the Medusa. Um, But if you, you know, book a tour with me, I could show you exactly where they are. when they did this, Jericho had to rent a studio to hold the canvas um, because it was 16 by 23 feet. It's rather large. His good friend, Eugène Delacroix, paid a visit to the atelier on Rue Saint-Honoré. And after he saw the piece, he ran home through the streets. He was amazed and was screaming because he just could not believe how fantastic this was. And that's when he also decided he was going to paint something as well. And that would be Liberty Leading the People which you could see his influence on it. Um, The large painting um, perfectly captures the fear and urgency of the effort to survive. When you look at it, it brings in all sorts of emotion. On the lower left side, the older man is draped in a red cloth. He holds his dead son's body at the edge of the raft um, with a look of total sadness and and despair. In the foreground, the men look to be barely holding on to life and the raft and ready to be swept into sea from the high waves that's off in the distance. Um, Jericho added 20 figures when in truth at this time there was only 15 people historically on the on the raft but if you look in the uh, at the man in the bottom right hand corner that is his face down his arm outstretched over a log that's actually Delacroix I love that he's in the painting most people think that Delacroix or Jericho is actually in liberty leading the people but it's not the case it's the other way around Interesting. That's something else we have to look for. 
Yeah. In the center of the painting, the men have discovered a boat and are pointing off to it, uh, pointing off to it in the distance. At the top of this pyramid, the pyramid shape that is very classic art, um, is a model. It is a black model. Um, and many years ago at the Orsay, they did this fantastic exhibition called the Black Model. Um, and they were able to take all of these famous paintings like Manet's Olympia and um, the one of, of the black model that's just called the black model that's in the Louvre that we know now as Madeline. This is another painting that they did research on. And that model is at the very top holding the red scarf was a Haitian dancer named Joseph. Um, he was a favorite of Delacroix um, and he painted him, or not, sorry, Delacroix, Jericho. He painted him many times. There's a painting of him that they have at the LA Museum that was at the Orsay. I think that, I think that exhibit, I want to say was like 2017. It was quite a long time ago, um, but it was really fan fantastic. And it gave a name to all of these people that don't, they were never given names in any of the paintings or in any of the notes. Um, he raises his red scarf up into the sky. He also, with the, with the two gentlemen that are reaching out, those are both um, of the survivors that he, that he had interviewed on August 25th, 1819, the raft of the Medusa was pre presented at the salon under the name, the scene of the shipwreck winning the gold medal, but before, but being left without a buyer, it was deemed a failure. The painting returned to uh, Jericho's studio until the next year when he paid 20,000 fran francs to bring it to London and to the Egyptian Hall of Picardy. Then it was on to Dublin in 1821. The Louvre, on the behalf of the general um, director, Count Auguste de Forbin, purchased the painting on November 12, 1824 for 6,000 um, Franks, and since then it is hung in the Louvre. It was sadly 10 months after Jericho died in 1859. The Louvre ordered a copy of it that you can also see in Amiens at the Picardy Museum. Um, the uh, Pierre Desiree Guimont was the one who created that copy. One thing about the painting that I love, and if people remember when we talked about how they saved the Louvre, the art of the Louvre, this is one that's really a special story. Jericho used a substance that he called bitmen that you add to the paint that makes the browns and the blacks very, very dark. But the problem with, problem with bitmen is it never fully dries and the painting could not be rolled up when they wanted to evacuate it from the Louvre because it would stick to itself. So during the evacuation on September 3rd, 1939, the large canvas traveled through Versailles on a truck. Basically, they took it out of the frame but left it on its stretcher. They put it um, on a scenery truck borrowed from the Comédie Française across the street and drove through Versailles. They knew along the path where all of the power lines were, but they forgot when they got to Versailles about the trolley line. And so as this truck went through, it hit the uh, power lines of the trolley and sparks and fire were everywhere. It shoved the truck 10 feet to the side and it knocked out all of the power to the entire city. And everybody there was panicked because they thought, that's it. The Germans are here. We're going to die. Oh, wow. And it was really just because of the painting. I mean, this painting is pretty gruesome and tragic, so it makes sense that it would add to more tragic things. It, yeah, exactly. It once they, it stayed in Versailles for about six months until they could figure out how to get it down um, to the Chateau de Chambord. It returned in 1945, and it was hung on the first floor of the Dinant Wing in the Red Room of the Saint-Molien, um, which is just a few steps away from the Mona Lisa. Um, and it, right alongside that, just down the wall, is Delacroix. 
Um, right now, Liberty Leading the People is being restored, but it's supposed to be back before the Olympics. Um, but he, this painting is amazing. It is dark. I mean, it's dark in its subject matter, but it's just dark. It's a lot of browns and blacks. And they actually, because he used that Bitman in there, they cannot scientifically restore this painting. It cannot be restored because they can't remove that because if they try to remove it, it, it could just ruin the whole painting. Um, and so hopefully it doesn't, you know, these paintings, because they cover it with varnish, they do keep getting darker over time. Um, Theodore Jericho wouldn't live much longer after he painted the masterpiece. He died at 32 years old on January 26, 1824. You could visit his tomb in the Père Lachaise and find a bronze bow relief of the raft done in front of his tomb by Antoine Etec. He, um, you, But you'll notice there's one little difference. So the one where the father is holding onto his dead son, he's naked in the painting. But when they did this for the bas-relief in bronze, in a much smaller version, they covered up his naughty bits. I wonder why. I know, it's pretty hilarious. But the tomb is really cool because he's laying, uh, Jericho is laying on top of it, holding his palette. Below him is the Raft of the Medusa. And on the sides are two other paintings that he had done that are done in bronze. Um, but the painting is really neat. When I take people there, sometimes I say, what does it make you feel? Because if you look at the top of the painting, it's kind of very optimistic. And he's, you know, Joseph's up there, you know, and like, here, we're here, save us. And if you look at the bottom and that both of the things have red. So he's holding a red scarf and the father down below is wrapped in kind of a red scarf around his head. And both of those things are kind of what get your attention because it's the only color that's not brown or black in the painting. And he just looks sad and depressed. So it's very much a, you know, which do you see and what do you take from the painting? Um, it's pretty amazing, even with it's kind of, you know, maybe don't think about the fact that they were eating each other. I mean, the whole story is just so tragic because they had the lifeboats and they just cut them. <laughs> They're like, here you go. Like, Well, they wouldn't have fit in there. There was way too many people to fit in six small boats. Um, but it is kind of, you know, it is interesting because the very elite and the high ranking officers are like, no, we don't want you. You know, no, you guys could figure out this on your own. And then they cut them loose like you're slowing us down. See you later. Yeah, that's that's very sad, but not surprising. Not surprising, but it's an amazing, amazing piece. Um, the Jericho, you know, he there's another room that's up on the second floor, the Suli Wing, that also is dedicated to him. And you know, most everybody knows of the if they know Jericho, they know the Raft of the Medusa. But he did that. He'd love to paint um, paintings of horses, and so the room that is dedicated to him has a lot of his horse paintings and they're really spectacular. I think what's really interesting about a lot of the art we talk about is the fact that it was so hated or controversial at the time. And now it's like treasured. And, and, and you just have to think about that even in today's standards, like when people are making new art, like do people hate it and will it be loved one day? I mean, everything felt so controversial back then. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about like we've talked about like Manet with Dejeuner sur l'Herbe, when we talked about Victorine, who was a model for that um, and also for, you know, Olympia and, you know, that that was so shocking. And it's, you know, before I've said like, oh, people would, you know, they just were freaked out about everything back then. But it's not any different today. 
it might be worse. <laughs> yeah, it's really fascinating. Things don't it is. Change, but they yeah. do. <laughs> and it's it's art, you know, art is supposed to be you know, thought provoking and, and get reactions out of people. And you know, one what I love is not what somebody else loves. Like I'm not a contemporary art fan really at all. I have a very small amount of contemporary art pieces that I like. I like the older things. Um, but then there's people that are like, they don't like anything in the Louvre. They only want to see, you know, impressionists. Um, so we all, I mean, that's what makes it great is that everybody has the things that they love, but um, it is funny that it art can also get some pretty visceral reactions from people. Yeah, definitely. Well, guys, head on over to ClaudineHemingway.com to learn more, hire her for a tour when you're in town, and tune in next week. Thanks for listening today, guys. If you're interested in learning more about Claudine, her tours, history, and the beautiful photographs that she posts all over Instagram, tune into her website, ClaudineHemingway.com.